Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 10. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. This is the word of life, threatening us with resurrection. Do you have some spiritual questions that just haunt you? That stay with you? That tug on your heart? And that you never answer to your complete satisfaction? Since some 40 years ago, at age 21, I was diagnosed with cancer on the same damnable day that my dad was diagnosed with a case of terminal prostate cancer. I've honestly wrestled with questions of suffering and faith. Some of you I know wrestle too. There's another question that's been much with me these past few years. As uncomfortable as it is for me to admit, and maybe for you to hear, It's the Spirit's voice inside me saying, you think you're not a racist, Bart? 
Okay, then here's the test. Tell me how many persons of color have sat at your table to eat with you and your family in the last year or ever. I suppose a similar query could be asked of unhomed persons or persons of other religions and eating with Baptists doesn't really count, though they clearly have on more than one occasion tested my abilities to love. Seriously, how many unhomed persons, how many gay persons, how many Muslims can you count as friends, persons who would gladly give you a letter of reference? As William Sloan Coffin put it, do you have your letter? Where's your letter of reference? For my part, I'm particularly haunted by questions of the openness of the table in my home. And I know and believe that it's not the responsibility of persons who are different from me to help me get beyond my own baggage. It's not on them. Still, sometimes, doesn't God use someone to help us to break through the barriers that we've so firmly built? I'm thinking of persons like little Linda Brown, who as a little girl in Topeka was at the center of the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision that ended school segregation in the United States. She just wanted bravely to go to school and to have a shot at the same education as did her white peers. Thank God for using the little Linda Browns to break through our barriers. The story of Cornelius is another such story. An unlikely hero, we've included him in the list of influencers, persons who changed the course of Christian history. He's the outlier, the one you might not have predicted to be on our list. A centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. Scripture calls him a God-fearer. That's a person who believed in the God of Israel, but who hadn't made the decisive cut necessary to convert. Still, verse 2 says, he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. It was he whose obedience to God literally altered the trajectory of all of Christian history. This is no small thing. Amy Jill Levine is a New Jewish New Testament scholar. Did you catch that? She's Jewish and a New Testament scholar. Writing of this period, she insightfully observes, had the church remained a Jewish sect, it would not have achieved its universal mission. Had Judaism given up its particularistic practices, it would have vanished from history. That 
the two movements eventually separated made possible the preservation of each. Had the church remained a Jewish sect, it would not have achieved its universal mission. It was into this moment, this, into this inflection point, this tipping point, that Cornelius steps. Someone had to be first. He was first. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't circumcised. And he didn't observe Jewish dietary laws. He was literally the symbol of the empire. For God's sake, still God used him in the ongoing conversion of Christians. In his telling of the story, Luke places Cornelius' story first. One afternoon, at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, God had his attention. He stared at the angel in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. What prayers? The prayers to be accepted by Jewish persons? Prayers to be faithful to the God revealed and known in the law and the prophets? The prayers of any of us to be accepted by God's people and to be able to live out our lives of faith in community, and with integrity. Now, send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter, the angel said. Peter is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. Someone had to be first. In Luke's telling it, Cornelius was first. But then, according to Luke, at the very same time, another angel was working on Peter with a vision. If ever there was an insider, Peter was it. He was on the inside of the very inside of the Christian movement. And yet, when the representatives of Cornelius arrived at his doorstep, Peter was able to put two and two together. He may have been called the rock, but he wasn't completely filled with rocks in his head. God was clearly working on him and in him. He went back with them to Caesarea. This was no small thing. Some of us have been to Caesarea by the sea. Caesarea Maritima, it was called. Named after Caesar, it was a singular stronghold of Roman Empire power. The place of Herod's palace and a place that no self-respecting Jew would willingly go. Peter went anyway. To his dismay, it wasn't just a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Cornelius. The whole freaking house was chock full of Gentiles. Gentiles, Gentiles, everywhere you looked, 
there were Gentiles. They were Cornelius' relatives and other close friends. You yourselves know that it's improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. That's the first thing Peter said. And we can imagine that some of them were crushed. I imagine a queer person who has just come out to her family. She gets up the courage to invite them all to her home to meet her new partner. The last to arrive is Grandpa. And the first thing he says to her is, you know, I've always been against such things. Everyone in the room sucks in air. No one feels more crushed than the very fragile granddaughter who knew it was a big risk in inviting him in the first place. Why did I do this? Why did I ever have hope? Why did I ever let my guard down? Have you heard such questions being asked? Some of you I know have been there on one side or the other of such conversations. Maybe with one of your grandchildren. Maybe with someone whom you love. Here were Cornelius's family and friends who had waited for this man. And Peter turned out to be just like all the rest, treating them as if they were dirty and he might catch something just by being in the room with them. But, Peter continued, don't you love the word but? Sometimes the whole gospel can be hinged on that one word. I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It means that Things can change, that people can change. It means that the hardest, most certain among us can be transformed. It means that we don't always know everything that there is to know. It means that we're open to God teaching us something, no matter our age, no matter our prejudice, no matter how hardened our opinions May God, and I say this sincerely, give us more buts in our lives and in the vocabulary of our hearts. But, but, Peter said, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Uh, just curious. That's when Cornelius tells Peter his story of his vision, of God's prompting for his life that has sent him seeking. That was all it took for Peter to open the door to his hardened heart and in this breakthrough moment, saying, I truly understand 
that God shows no partiality. Wow! Can we just pause for a moment to dwell on this? God shows no partiality. It would be a lesson that folk in the church would have to learn again and again and again. In every generation, it seems. It's a lesson Methodists had to learn after going through a civil war and through civil rights. It's a lesson we've had to learn in battles for women's rights. It's a struggle even now as Methodists are having to decide again whether Peter got it right. Though some are still so convinced that he didn't. If anyone in that room with Cornelius breathed for a full minute after Peter let loose with his truth bomb, there was something wrong with them because Peter had just said something no one on earth had authorized him to say. He had just opened the door, albeit a crack. He opened the door of the church to those to whom it had previously shut out. People to whose weddings he would not go or for whom a cake he would not bake. People for whom he would not ever have associated with. He didn't check with his leadership board. He didn't take a congregational survey and get their opinions. He didn't even quote a single passage of Scripture to back it up. He based his faith on a fresh revelation of God and on his bedrock belief that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, not of some, but of all. And while Peter rightly gets a lot of the credit for his courage, I'm imagining the greater courage of Cornelius, who took that risk of rejection and said, I'm going to try it anyway. I'm imagining the faith of Cornelius that said, if not me, then who? If you go to Memphis, and it's really worth a day trip from here, you really ought to make a pilgrimage to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. It's in the old Lorraine Hotel. An emotional highlight for me in the three times that I've gone has been to step out onto the balcony, almost pushed out there as the architects planned it, onto that space where Martin Luther King Jr. lost his life. And we lost one of history's great voices. But there's another tear-filled moment for me. It comes much earlier in the lower levels, down in the depth of the museum, where there's a bus. You enter the bus, and there near the front is a seated statue of a woman whose 
feet were tired. Martin Luther King Jr., like Peter, was famous and important. She was not. She was just a nobody. Somebody like Cornelius, whom God would use to break down barriers. Her name is, you've no doubt guessed it, was Rosa Parks. And if you want God to speak to you, all you have to do is go and sit in the seat next to hers. There on the bus is a seat in which you can sit. And unless you're not completely deaf, God will say to you, someone has to be first. Might it not be you? I'm so terribly grateful for Cornelius, for Linda Brown, for Rosa Parks, and for all those who help us get beyond our bigotries and racisms and phobias. It's not their responsibility for helping us get beyond the barriers we've placed on people. And yet, they did step up and out, risking what it takes. And their witness and their legacy requires me to do the same. May God baptize us in the fullness of that very same Spirit this day.